college sports world is entering a huge weekend at a tumultuous time for the NCAA. The NFL is continuing its takeover of the holiday season. And later, we have the inimitable Roger Bennett on a watershed moment for the Premier League. It's Wednesday, November 22nd. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. We have a much-anticipated weekend coming up in college sports, while the underlying structure of the NCAA is shifting beneath our feet. Joining me now to discuss is front office sports reporter Amanda Kristovich. Welcome, Amanda. Hey, how's it going? Great. Great to have you. Uh, so, yeah, lot, always a lot going on in, in this world of ours. So one of the latest things is we've got a lawsuit that could, in theory, cost the NCAA $4 billion dollars. Uh, tell us what the deal is here. Yeah, so um, there has been a major NIL-related lawsuit uh, called House v. NCAA that's kind of been winding through uh, the Ninth Circuit in California since 2020. Um, but one of the more recent, um, I, I guess, rulings in that case was that um, the judge by the way, the same judge who has heard other NCA antitrust cases agreed um, to certify three damages classes, um, which sounds kind of like random legal speak. But the upshot of that is that if the NCA loses, the damages classes could be awarded more than $4 billion. Um, and this isn't just the NCA; The Power Five conferences are also named as defendants in the lawsuit. Um, so... Uh, at the very, very end of last week, um, literally to the point where like the documents didn't even hit the court system until Monday, um, the NCAA and Power Five conferences filed a very rare type of appeal um, against this decision, essentially saying that it was wrong and that also since it's so potentially, you know, the the repercussions would be so dire for the NCAA and Power Five from a financial standpoint that they would be you know, pressured to settle rather than actually see the case through. Uh, we don't know if the Ninth Circuit is going to agree to hear this appeal. We'll have to see, but it's not, you know, it's the second time the NCA has used this sort of like inter, like like an appeal, not of a case's full ruling, but an appeal in the middle of the case. It's called an interlocutory appeal. Uh, it's the second time they've used this in an antitrust suit in the last year. So they're getting a little desperate to say the least. Yeah, I mean, who knows what will happen here, but obviously the downside risk is is enormous. Um, if they had to pay something in the billions and damages here, what would that do to the NCAA? Yeah, I mean, look, the, I, it, it's one of those rare instances, I think, in the NCAA legal history where um, – I mean, look, the case is technically about NIL, but it's about redefining NIL to include things like broadcast revenue. So if the NCAA won the case or lost the case, excuse me, they would have to rewrite their rules to allow players to get paid by their conferences and get a share of broadcast revenue. Obviously, that's a big deal. That's a death knell for amateurism. But in this case, I actually think that the damages of $4 billion plus, could be even $5 billion dollars. Um, you know, look, I, I don't have the inside scoop on the NCAA's finances. I'm not their accountant, but what I can tell you is that it would almost certainly bankrupt them and the power five. I mean, think of it this way. The NCAA makes, 
you know, they report like a little over a billion dollars a year um, in revenue. And this is $4 billion, a lot of which they're going to be on the hook for. So I think, you know, it doesn't take a math or an accounting genius to suggest that this would be extremely, extremely detrimental, much worse for the NCAA, I would argue, than the financial issues that COVID caused. Yeah. Wow. 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 Uh, let's stick in California. You've got a, a feature coming out this weekend for us on the end of the PAC 12. So yeah, just give us, give us the idea here. I mean, obviously we know the PAC 12 is, is in its final days, um, at least as it currently stands, but what, what, what do you see as the story at this point? Yeah. What's really interesting about the future of the PAC 12, um, which we decided to write about now as the season, you know, is winding down and this is going to be the last PAC 12 football season as we know it in ever. Right. Um, what appears to be the deciding factor is again, a lawsuit that I've been reporting on, um, that's in a local Washington, uh, state court. And it's about, who has control of the Pac-12's board? Is it everybody? Is it just Oregon State and Washington State, the only two members who are theoretically staying in the Pac-12? And the outcome of that lawsuit is going to determine what OSU and WSU's options are going forward. So that's kind of what the story is about. Gotcha. And before we go, I'll let you, you know, take off your reporter hat for a moment, just put on your fan hat. Uh, we've got a big weekend of college sports coming up. What are you going to be watching? Yeah, I mean, maybe this is boring or, you know, the the answer that everybody's giving, but I'm such a sucker for Ohio State, Michigan every year. It's really uh, exciting. Fun fact, um, I almost went to Michigan. Uh, so I, there, I have sort of a soft spot for, uh, for the school, no listeners. That does not mean that I am biased in the, uh, Harbaugh, Connor Stallions, Uncle T, uh, you know, saga that we've all been seeing unfold. But, uh, you know, that game every year is just one of my favorite parts about college football. Amanda Krisovich, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. The NFL has its Thanksgiving triple header set to go, with the Packers playing the Lions, Commanders taking on the Cowboys, and the 49ers playing the Seahawks. And the NFL doesn't do this out of inertia. They do it because Thanksgiving games do numbers like little else. Last season's Cowboys-Giants game averaged 42 million viewers on Fox. That was the top regular season game in any sport, and brought more viewers than all but four playoff games, which were the Super Bowl, the two conference championships, and the division series game between the Chiefs and Bills. The 2022 World Cup final was watched by 1.5 billion people, but the U.S. accounted for a mere 26 million of that sum, which was lower than two of the Thanksgiving games and barely beat the third one. The NFL's three Thanksgiving games last year combined for viewership of around 98.5 million. Those three regular season games were just below the 103 million viewers of the 10 games of the World Series and NBA Finals combined. The NFL is grateful for the fourth Thursday in November. And it's not just Thanksgiving. The NFL wants to have a presence on every major holiday. This year we'll have the first Black Friday game when Amazon will try to keep your watching and shopping on one screen. They'll have a full slate on Christmas Eve, another triple header on Christmas, and a full slate on New Year's Eve. Christmas has previously been the NBA's territory, and college football puts bowl games around New Year's. The NHL has its Winter Classic on New Year's Day, and the NFL doesn't care about any of that. It wants to be there on random autumn Sundays when you have nothing else to do, and it wants to be there when you are gathering with family and friends. The NFL wants to own every holiday, leading up to its own holiday, the Super Bowl, which set a record last year with 115 million viewers. 
When it comes to American media, the NFL has everything, and it is hungry for more. Up next, the Premier League is one of the only global sports properties that can compete with the NFL, and it is in one of its most dramatic moments in its history. The action on the pitch is converging with the actions of the UK government, which is impacted by world events and geopolitics. With all of that going on, the person I most want to talk to is Roger Bennett, founder of the Men and Blazers Media Network, and our conversation is coming up right after this. Very happy to be joined now by Roger Bennett, founder of the Men and Blazers Media Network. Welcome, Raj. Oh, it is great to be back, Owen. Great to have you back, even in what I have to assume are, are dark times for you. Uh, your beloved Everton is now in the relegation zone after a 10-point penalty from the Premier League. The sale of the team to 777 Partners is now likely to be at a lower price. They're getting sued by the clubs that were relegated last year. What is your reaction to all of this? I'm just a general numbness. I'm a Chicago Bears fan, Chicago White Sox fan. I come from three generations of of Everton fans. Everton have been a great club in my lifetime in the evolution of football to a massive commercial global billboard. Uh, the club have made several self-sabotaging, disastrous decisions which have left them uh, well behind. And after a while, when you're just getting punched repeatedly as a fan, in the down below regions, just a general numbness sits. And this is a massive numbness, just to be clear. This ban that you just articulated, the, the closest American parallel, I would imagine, is, is to Southern Methodist University and the, the death penalty, which was handed down to them uh, in the late 80s. Um, but generally, this is this is Everton, and we expect it. And we're from Liverpool. We are fighters. Uh, and I expect the rest of the season is going to be quite, a wild ride. Yeah, and this is a storied century-old club. Is this what does this mean in their history? Can they recover from this? There is no doubt um, that they can recover to this. The, the, the Everton were, you know, founding members uh, of English football. They're a deeply historic club. Um, they're one of two clubs in Liverpool, which is where I'm from. Liverpool, a fiercely proud city in which football. And music were everything in the 1980s when I grew up. Everton were one of the greatest teams in the world on the cusp of being kings of Europe. Um, and then there was violence, the hooligan era. Um, the English teams were all banned uh, after a horrific incident in the now what's called the Champions League, the, the, then the European Cup final, in which Liverpool fans uh, fought Juventus fans and uh, there were many, many fatalities. And in a way, the ban, uh, the blanket ban against English teams, Everton never really recovered from that. They never, uh, the, the l lack of income, the, then the creation of the Premier League, which turned many clubs like Manchester United into global properties. Again, Everton gave all the other clubs a standing start, became kind of a mid-table, also ran. And then in the modern period, their owners um, had um, Russian ties and with the war with Ukraine, they had to cut uh, a connection to them, cut off essentially a huge part of their financing uh, which is part of this problem. Um, and now uh, they've been targeted by the Premier League for um, a financial misdemeanor, which is quite complicated. And I won't bore you with the specifics, but English top flight clubs are permitted to lose $132 million over three years. And they were charged with having losses of $157 million. So they had one charge of financial misdemeanor, which has led to them being docked 10 points. 
Um, there are massive clubs right now with real financial uh, question marks against them, including Manchester City. Everton lost 10 points for one financial charge. Currently, Manchester City, who are owned by Abu Dhabi, um, they have 115 charges hanging over them. Uh, the difference is they're nation state owned. They also are back to back to back three peak title holders going for a fourth. Um, so Everton got this massive deduction for one charge. And the question everyone's asking is what then for Manchester City and these 115 charges that are currently bogged down um, in the legal process. Uh, but Everton are a plucky team. They've never been better than when they are with backs against the wall as a collective. Uh, and that collective feels that it's them against the world. And in this Premier League, where there happen to be, you know, three or four or five really, truly awful um, teams, this points deduction um, could be actually the the fuel that Everton need to truly surge their way out of the relegation zone. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see. And they're a team that, you know, was trying to, it seemed like they were trying to make that jump um, with, uh, you know, they've got a new stadium coming in. They, they had all that Russian money that they then had to unhave. Um, it, it feels like they, they're keep, they keep trying to get into the, the range of, you know, Chelsea, Man United, maybe not quite Man City, but Man City might be coming down to them sometime soon. Um, so... Thinking, yeah, broadly about the Premier League, this feels like, you know, not just a couple penalties coming down, but maybe a new era for the league. Um, it's, the, the, the question is, has the league uh, created a precedent for itself? Um, the context for this is um, since the pandemic, uh, when you know, the whole British economy wobbled, when you look at England, Owen, you know, Britain used to have an empire. Um but now what does it have? It has Downton Abbey that's not even in production. Uh, we used to have a queen. She sadly has passed away. Um, and we have the Premier League. And the Premier League is a massive um, global um, billboard for brand Britain. Um, and then the pandemic happened. Uh, you know, Football, like the rest of the sporting world, shut down. Um, and the football teams, they're not just franchises like in American sport. They are in many uh, cities, including my own Liverpool, they are just the bedrock of community, not just economically. In many of the towns, they're economic engines of employment, but they're also symbols of cultural identity, cultural pride. Um, and during the pandemic, where a number of them were financially threatened, and also in the pandemic, that's part of the roots of Everton's financial woes, partially self-inflicted, where the owners have just been financially reckless. The pandemic didn't help. And then the war um, where Russia invaded UK, Ukraine, we were partially owned, heavily subsidized by an oligarch, uh, Uzmanov, who was the one oligarch who very quickly everyone agreed that they could seize his funds. So Everton had to cut ties with this gent almost overnight. I think our, our training academy, sponsored by his enterprises, um, I, I, a huge percentage of the club's revenue came from this gentleman. It was like cutting off your own limb uh, in that moment. So Everton partially self-inflicted, um, partially you know external um, repercussions of COVID and, and and the war. But the government um, realised if any of these teams do go under, also other nations buying teams in Britain, Saudi Arabia brought Newcastle United. That means Newcastle United are no longer a football team. They're a global, regional, geopolitical status symbol. And so for Newcastle United, 
Uh, the new owners had to negotiate with the Premier League, but also, and we're just finding out more now, they quietly had to meet with the Foreign Office. It was of Britain's geopolitical strategic um, importance. Manchester City are in the dock for possible alleged footballing misdemeanors, 115 of them, huge number. Um, we found out that the British government have been called in Abu Dhabi, the embassy, uh, on this issue. And also the Abu Dhabi uh, embassy has met with a foreign office in London. So the stories that are much bigger than football, which has led to the British government, talk about and actually start to move towards uh, imposing a regulator. This is, a again, a very dry topic. It's not why we love sports. We don't cheer for, hooray, there's going to be a regulator. It's not why, yeah, oh, Lionel Messi, I'm not interested in him anymore. Let me look at the government's white paper on its Premier League football regulator. The Premier League can't stand this idea. Why would we want to give up complete control of this ATM, this money machine? Um, and there is a feeling, Owen, that Everton, this crazily out of proportion um almost a you know in a, a potential death sentence for the club was the premier league just trying to show the government look we don't need you to re- we can regulate ourselves no one needs to watch the watchman healer heal thyself everything's going to be fine and everton are almost just the scapegoat the tiny little weakling that they can beat up on to show the world that they can self-regulate because no one can hear Everton scream. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fascinating how, and it does feel like the Premier League was happy to exist in this realm of, you know, the money's coming in. We don't have to ask too many questions where it's coming from. It's, it's coming to us. So that's just great. But yeah, with the the British government getting involved all of a sudden, obviously that changes the picture. For Man City, I mean, they're a dynasty. They're one of the best teams, you know, in the history of the Premier League. What could this mean for them? We don't know. I mean, that's the one one of the the, the greatest questions. You know, um, Abu Dhabi um, took over Manchester City. Manchester City were a wonderful, haphazard, um, kind of ironic um, minnow. They were like the, the the Roger Clinton to Manchester United's bill. They were like the the reckless younger brother. You know, United were winning everything, everything in the nineties and the early two thousand. City were just happy to be there. Their fans used to sing, um, we're not really here, was their chant as they bounced uh, large inflatable bananas ironically around there. They knew how bad they were. They reveled in their badness. We've had Noel Gallagher on our show uh, who talk about going home and away, traveling across Britain to watch just terrible football, but you did it because you loved it. It was what you were you know, the pain, the suffering. It was your identity. In comes you know, Abu Dhabi who wanted to you know, soft power have this club. They realized the Premier League, they, they, uh, the, the, the Abu Dhabi um, 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 monarchy who invested in in the Premier League, they brought for uh, like 5X, 10X, the same week as they brought Manchester City, they brought a chip processing factory. Uh, I can't remember where it was, somewhere in California. And, you know, they admitted they couldn't believe that this deal for the chip factory was like 10x what it cost to buy Manchester City. And it got like tiny little trade paper mentions. Buying Manchester City was them attaching a global megaphone. They couldn't believe the headlines they got. Every every move they made, every, you know, acquisition, every new player they brought in, global headlines, global headlines. It's the greatest billboard uh, that's visible all around the world. It's the greatest megaphone with which you can announce yourself. And huge credit to them. Strategically, 
Uh, you know, Everton have had a lot of money spent on them. Manchester United have had a lot of money spent on them. They've spent it recklessly without a strategy, without a vision. Huge credit to um, Abu Dhabi. They've come in and even those who criticize them, and there's so many of them, um, who uh, there's so much to be uh, critical of, will admit strategically what they've done, going out to get the best coach in the world, uh, Pep Guardiola, who's like, if uh, Bill Belichick um, had a bull Catalan baby at his peak, um, just levels above everybody else, the footballers they bring in. Um, no one can quite understand how it was done. You know, they keep announcing just record-breaking profits that far outstrip Manchester United, far outstrip Liverpool. Many of their sponsors are from Abu Dhabi, you know, the airlines, the businesses. No one can quite work out exactly uh, the financial flows. There's a lot about it that financially that does not make sense. Um, and they have 115 charges against them of financial uh, misdemeanors. And so on one hand, you have peerless football, you have a peerless manager who is the greatest manager ever to manage. You have a squad that is stacked depth-wise with some of the most brilliant artists, some of the most creative footballers who've redefined everything. And emotionally, that's why we're sports fans. We watch sports emotionally. You know, um, the, the, the World Cup in Qatar, there was outcry going in. The second Lionel Messi starts to kick a ball, all of that falls away. You watch sports to be mesmerized. You don't want the rational. You don't want the strategic. You want to be taken out of your norm. And Manchester City, emotionally, are peerless. Um, rationally, they have been charged with 115 charges. They've been able to pay for the most expensive lawyer in England, uh, whose name is um, uh, who, whose name is now famous in every newspaper um, in in, um, in England, and he's been able to tie up the case and essentially force the Premier League to sweat it out. And it's gone very quiet. Everton's was just one. Um, was just one charge and that was dealt with bloody quickly because it wasn't that complicated. Manchester City's is a morass of financial complications and so we don't know what will happen with Manchester City because we actually know very bloody little. The Premier League have said almost nothing and now the English, uh, the silence is speaking volumes. If Everton for that one charge were docked 10 points. Manchester City, if they're found guilty of the 115 charges, will they be, will they be um, docked at 1,150 points? We honestly don't know, Owen. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be fascinating to watch. I mean, it's there's just nothing like this going on anywhere in sports with, yeah, the, 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 the sports, the politics, the geopolitical implications, all of it coming together and, you know, just comes down to, how many points is is Man City going to get docked? How many points is Chelsea and all them? What's going to happen? If if you're an American owner, and many of the teams now have American owners, um, you know Liverpool, uh, John Henry, Boston Red Sox, Arsenal, uh, Stan Kroenke um, of the Rams, um, you know the Glazers, Manchester United, Liverpool ran Manchester City um, so close 2019. I think it was one point ultimately determine the title. Um, while they're waiting for these 115 charges to come through, you know, there is a level of just shock and bewilderment. Um, this, By the way, this case could take years. Um, but what does it say about the competitive fairness of the league? That's ultimately the very question that's being um, broached, that's being raised into account. But again, 
it's not why we watch. Thank God the Premier League comes back this weekend. Manchester City are actually playing Liverpool Football Club uh, on Saturday. I will be there um, in Manchester. Um, and once that ball, you know, is kicked off, you know, all of this falls away. No one wants to engage in all of this. We don't watch sports to mire ourselves in economics, in geopolitics, in you know, corruption, skullduggery. The world is full of that already, Owen. Right, we get it's what you get away from. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and that's ultimately the reality. The second the referee blows his whistle on Saturday, we will be watching to see Erlin Haaland, who is like, you know, chat GTP and cleats, this monstrous Scando Viking Raider just trying to make the Liverpool defence implode. Liverpool's fierce and front line with Mohamed Salah, the Egyptian king, having the season of his life um, at a time when many others have hung up their boots. That's ultimately the drama, the theatre, the joy, the emotional transcendence. And that's the complication that's facing English football right now. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Roger Bennett, thank you so much for joining us once again. Happy Thanksgiving, Owen. Godspeed. That is it for today. We're going to be off for the rest of the week to enjoy some time with friends and family. But before I go, I surveyed some colleagues here at FOS about what they are thankful for. And here's what they said. Dan in Brand Partnerships is thankful for Tommy DeVito turning a lost season for the Giants into a fun story. Shira in People Operations is thankful for the brotherly shove not getting banned. Rachel in Creative Strategy is thankful for the Chicago Blackhawks drafting Connor Bedard. Vic in Creative Strategy is thankful for Taylor Swift, aren't we all? Our account manager, Allison, is thankful for a great week in college basketball. Jeff in Integrated Marketing is thankful for UConn basketball filling the void in his sports heart created by the New York Jets, probably something he can say every year. Daniel, who produces this podcast and is the reason it sounds good, is thankful for the Texas Rangers spending spree. And Sue and Brand Partnerships is thankful for the Detroit Lions heading into Thanksgiving with an 8-2 record. I am thankful for the entire FOS team for becoming a true force in a fiercely competitive sports media world. And to all of you for listening every single time that you do. Enjoy the break. Get some rest. Eat too much. Spend time with loved ones. We'll see you on Monday. <laughs>